It's a good deal. If you would take your Bibles, we're in a new series. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23. We have finished up the whole armor of God. And we're going to move into a, a series that I won't really get through with before Easter. So we'll pick up two more of them after Easter. But it's the seven sayings that Jesus did on the cross. So that's where we're going to start today. And it's going to start in Luke 23. So again, the, the sermon will series will take us up and past Easter, Easter, but we will we'll pause for the Easter service. Three of these sayings that we'll get to will address the, we'll see Jesus uh, addressing God the Father. And then the other four are addressing to people. So let's read. It's just two verses, Luke 23, starting with verse 33 and 34. Now, we all know the story. Jesus is on the cross at this point. These are the first things that he says. And when they, they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one of them on the right and, one, and the other on the left, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. Let's pray. Dear God, as we're here today, Lord, about to try to unveil in the tiniest amount, Lord, what you went through in the cross. Lord, let us be Good stewards of these series, Lord, let us be attentive and let us, Lord, understand where we fit in the whole situation. Lord, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a woman one time, she sat in a pastor's office and she said to the pastor, she said, I'm going to kill myself. She said, I don't have any reason to live. He told, she told the pastor that all her friends had forsaken her had deserted her, she didn't have a job, and she didn't even have any money. So however, no one seemed to have valued her life. She, her children didn't even see anything to her. They had deserted her. The pastor said, well, she said, Pastor, when I told my oldest son I was thinking about killing myself, he said, Mom, why don't you just go ahead and do it? Get it all better for everybody. I won't have to worry about you in the future. That's one less thing I'll have to worry about. I want you to think about how you would forgive in that situation. Another one. A man called a pastor on the phone. He said, Pastor, can I come see you? They sat together, the pastor said, he said, my wife has left me for another man. She did that a few years ago. It hurt like crazy, he says, but after a while she got tired of him, so she decided to come back. And I thought it was right to do so, so I let her come back. Everything seemed fine for a few months, but then she left me again for the same man. 
she stayed with him for a while, but then she came back a second time, and I thought everything's going to be fine this time. But when she left again, after a few months ago, Pastor, every time he said, every time she leaves, it hurts me deeply. Like something is stabbing in my chest with a butcher knife. She's been with him for a while now, but she just called me. She wants to come back. And I don't want to go through all that hurt again. I can forgive somebody maybe once or twice. He says, but I'm not sure if I can forgive her the third time. So think about how you would forgive in a situation like that. In, in our scripture today, we're going to find these three words. Or these few words. There's actually four of them. I put three and there's four. How about I can't count? They, then they crucified him. I read it in verse 23 or 33 and 34. There they crucified him. No real detail, just a simple statement. There they crucified him. You know, we cannot imagine the agony that Jesus endured while upon the cross. The physical suffering would have been horrible. By the time he got to the cross, he was beaten within an inch of his life. His, his back had been torn open with uh, whips that they called them the cattails. His face had probably been disfigured as they were actually in amongst all that. Before they put him on the cross, they had actually pulled the hair out of his beard by, with their hands. So on his head, they had a crown of what? Thorns. So he was a shell of a man when he even hit the cross. And Luke records, there they crucified him. So they laid a cross, just in, course you don't, just in case you don't know, they laid the cross on the ground, they laid Jesus' body on it, and then they nailed His hands to each side and put His feet on top of each other and nailed them together on the center post. So He had new wounds, new pain, new blood. And the Bible says there they crucified Him. So what happened that day was horrendous. It was horrible. It was hideous. Yet Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That leads back to the original question. How do you forgive in those two illustrations I give? Well, do you know what Jesus did? He prayed. It was very short. It was very pointed. But the prayer was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So this morning we're going to look briefly over that prayer. And we're going to apply it to our lives. We're going to see how sometimes we fall short. But to start it off, 
That prayer, Father, forgive them, it's a prayer of relationship. It's a prayer of relationship. When Jesus said, Father. You know, what a powerful word to come out of the lips of Jesus was Father. And the first word He has spoken to Him, and it's recorded for us when He hung on the cross, He called to Father. And Father is a word of relationships. No one spoke like Jesus ever in the Bible. You go back to the prophets in the Old Testament, they never hollered Father. Right? Go back and check behind me. They never did. They, hollered, they did God, Lord, Savior. But Jesus shows us the relationship that He has, that we can have, with the Father, when He said, Father. And, and, and really, God the Father has and always does have an intimate relationship with God the Son. Always. One of the mysteries that we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man, not 50-50, 100% God and 100% man. There's never been nobody else like that. We're more like 95% man and a little bit God. He had oneness with the Father, yet at the same time, He was separated from the Father and He prayed, Father, forgive them. So no matter what was going on, Throughout all the consistency, Jesus looked to the Father in everything. Jesus actually said in John 10, chapter 30, Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. He told the disciples and, and, and all the religious leaders around there that, and they wanted to kill Him at that point. But He said, I and the Father are one. So Jesus spoke as being one with the Father. But I like the fact that we can also call God the Father, right? We can do that now as Christians. Our Father, here's what the model prayer we just sung from. It's, it's the um, Lord's Prayer. He says it like this. He says, Our Father. He didn't say Father like He did from the cross when He told the disciples about this earlier. This would be in Matthew 6. If you ever wonder where that song comes from, it comes from there. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 9-13. through 13. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
That's the Lord's Prayer. So who taught us to pray like that? Jesus did. He gave the disciples a modeled prayer. He said, Our Father. But from the cross, He just prays, Father. So He is our Father. God the Father is our Father. We have that as believers, that special relationship with Him because of God the Son, Jesus Christ, right? We have that relationship. And again, the prophets of old did not pray in that manner. Go back and check behind me. You'll, you'll find this to be true. Abraham didn't. Isaac didn't. Jacob didn't. Nobody prayed like that. Moses, none of them prayed like that. Jesus set the model prayer for centuries. No one addressed God in such an intimate matter as calling Him Father. Nobody did. Then Jesus, the only begotten of the Son, cried out, Father. As Christ hung on the cross, we know the story, robbers robbed of, of His human... He was robed in human flesh. He was robbed of everything. He was wrongly accused. He was beaten. He prayed to the one that he could always count on. Father. You see the prayer, it's all about a relationship. It's about the faith, hope, and trust. And it's about knowing the one who knows us best. And it's Father. The one who can walk with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's beaten. He's bloody. He's bruised. He can hardly move. But still He has the power of all the angels in heaven. Isn't there an old song that says He could have called what? 10,000 angels. So never think for a moment that they crucified Him and killed Him. Jesus died for our sin. There is a big difference. There is a big difference. He did die, but He freely, as we'll get to in a few weeks, give up His life and said, it is finished, and He gives it up. But He still cries out, Father. So, Father, it is a prayer of relationship. And ultimately, also, it's a prayer of forgiveness. Think about it. We have been forgiven, and we should forgive much of the people that have offended us. If you had, if it had been you and you were maybe hanging on the cross, kind of put yourself in that situation, I don't really think that forgiveness would be the first thing on your mind. Would you maybe do something like, God, can you kind of take this pain away? God, kind of, kind of do something bad to all these people that's hurting me? That's sort of what we pray, isn't it? We don't really pray in a forgiving mood. We tend to pray for a get-even atmosphere. We tend to, tend to, we would have probably prayed in at least 
God, if your vengeance is yours, you're going to make this right. But our prayers have always and always will be directed inward until we see the Savior for who He truly is. And then we will replace that with an outward. So Christ didn't concern Himself about the physical well-being of Himself. He was not praying for the suffering to end. He did not seek the means of escape from the awful torture. And we all know well that He could have just stepped down. He could have called 10,000 angels. Because again, 100% God the Son and 100% man. He stayed on the cross because that was the plan from word go. So as he prayed for the needs of all those that were responsible for his crucifixion and doing him wrong, he says those two words, Father, forgive. Christ could have prayed for anything. Never forget that. He could have said, Father, destroy them. Father, condemn them. He had the power to do that, right? He could have done that, but He didn't. He prayed, Father, He could have prayed this, either Father, take away the pain. Father, lessen my suffering. Father, give me strength, but He didn't. Now, He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, what? If there's any way this cup could pass from me, but not my will, but Thy will be done. That was settled in Gethsemane. The prayer right before the... the the crucifixion or the, all the beatings and, and the trials and everything started and ultimately the crucifixion. And at the cross he says, Father, forgive. Why? Why did he say that? Well, he knew for one thing they needed forgiveness. And it's the same today. We need forgiveness. A lot of people today don't really think they need forgiveness. But we all do. He says, Father, forgive. You know, as Jesus was enduring the cross, His true revelation was revealed to all. And it was to seek and save those who were lost. Father, forgive. His desire was to always see people receive forgiveness, salvation, redemption. His passion was for their forgiveness. Always. The Old Testament even tells us sort of a glimpse. Isaiah gives us a glimpse of this. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, and we know this verse well, he said, He was wounded for our transgressions and was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. Isaiah, looking through the corridor of time, many, many moons ago before Jesus walked on planet earth, saw forward in time, saw this and recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 53. And the first words that come from the cross was forgiveness. Alright, the prayer was also a prayer of identity. Identity. So who's Jesus talking about when He said, Father, forgive them? Who are the them? Who's the them? 
I think that them were the ones that were responsible for, for, the, for his demise of that way of dying. Those that put him on the cross. So let me ask you, who did it? Who put him on the cross? You may say, you may say first, well, it was the Roman soldiers. They were the ones that crucified him. They nailed him to the cross. They did the physical work. They were the ones that killed him. They were doing their job, right? They were doing their job. They were responsible to make sure that the crucifixion was carried out in proper manner. So yeah, they killed Jesus. Well, some might say that. Some might say, well, all the soldiers were doing were carrying out orders. Maybe they're not guilty at all, some might say. Commander, they might say, ordered it. They were told to do it. How many of y'all have done something that you knew was wrong, but you did it because you were told to? That's the Roman soldiers. Some of them knew that was wrong, not all of them, but some of them probably did. So we may say, so maybe the commander is ultimately restored. The commander, the Roman commander, maybe he was ultimately responsible for killing Jesus. Wait a minute, what about Pilate? What about Pilate? Pilate washed his hands. Pilate had the power to stop it. And he washed his hands. He says, I'm going to wash my hands of it. He gave the people a choice. And they chose Barabbas. Well, Pilate had something to do with it, don't you believe? Others would say, what about Judas? Mm, not Judas, he betrayed him, didn't he? Judas walked and talked with Jesus intimately for three and a half years, yet he did betrayed him. He's got to have something to do with it. He's got to have at least a little part in it, right? What about the leaders of the Jews? The Sanhedrin, all those people, they were the ones that kind of ushered everything and got the ball started. Aren't they guilty too? Aren't they the ones that wanted to kill Jesus from the start? When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, the Bible tells us right then they sought to kill Him from that point on. So they're the ones that plotted His death. Aren't they responsible? Yeah. But you know, they are, but it doesn't stop with that. If you think about it, in a sense, that all are part of us. Them are part of us. No, we didn't live back in Bible times that long ago. We're not that old. Some of us may be close to 2,000 years, but we're not that old. So we didn't live during that time, but all of what we did sent Jesus to the cross. When Jesus was on the cross... He went to the cross because of sin, but He was sinless. The Bible says He was without sin. But the Bible tells us something different. It says Romans 3.23 says something really striking. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's us too. We're part of all. Further up in the chapter 3, verses 10 of Romans, it's also written this. Paul wrote this to the church of Rome. He said, 
There are none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, and they are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's Romans 3, 10, and 13, 10 through 12. If forgiveness was to come, Jesus needed to go to the cross. If you think about, have you ever thought about why the cross? Well, in that point in time, throughout all the Old Testament, there was given this statement that's recorded for us in Hebrews. Hebrews 9.12 says this sort of tells the story of why everything went like it did in the Old Testament. And, almost, and it says, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, chapter 9, verse 22, and almost all things by the law are purged with blood. It was just the way it was back then. It's the way it was. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions. So that is something that is recorded for us in the New Testament, but that sort of gives the answer in a nutshell of all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. There had to be a payment for sin. We all know if we know anything about the Old Testament, it, it equated back then mostly to animals and uh, livestock and like crops, according, according to what Levitical law you read, what you had to sacrifice. But it was a sacrifice, and most of the time, when the sin got to a certain part, the blood was the only atonement for it. So... For my sin and for your sin, we sent Jesus to the cross too. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. We are the them. So the prayer is also a prayer of awareness. Father, forgive them for they what? Know not what they do. Surely in this world, we've been exposed to the truth, the truth being God's word. There are those who have heard the teaching of Jesus. They may even acknowledge that He was a good man. They know that Jesus was special. He wasn't like any other men. Other men didn't do stuff like that. So He was different in some people's eyes. But they know most people... If they're honest, they would confess that they know Jesus was different, special, um, maybe even powerful. Yet they reject Him. So, so Jesus prays, Father, forgive them so they, because they know not what they do. There even are those in this world that call themselves Christian. Christian is sort of like a label. We know how labels are nowadays. People can call themselves the craziest things. We think it's crazy for a guy to call himself a girl and, and, a, and a young child to call himself, what is it, cats now or something? I mean, it's crazy. But it's also crazy to be called a Christian when you're really not. It's just like all the rest of them labels. It changes nothing. They may even go to church on Sundays. But maybe during the week, 
They're not living for Christ. They live for the devil. They don't take the teaching of Jesus seriously. Think about that. Don't you know a lot of people that are, air quotes, queer Christian that do not do anything the Bible says do? They're sort of, I'm going to see what it does and do the opposite type. But they call themselves Christian, right? But they're not. Just, they're just not. I ain't going to lie to you. They're just not. If you don't take what Jesus says seriously, then in your heart you have really no concern or desire to fulfill what is written in Scripture. And we call that being godly. And Jesus prayed, God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, and there's many in the world that really have no clue of what Christianity really is. They are unaware of what God's plan is for their life. There's lots of people that are unaware that Jesus is the Messiah. That He is the Savior of the world. They just reject Him as just a prophet. Some people do. But the problem is they have not looked for Him. They have not sought Him. And a lot of people are comfortable right where they are spiritually and outside of church. And the prayer is, Father, forgive them, or they know not what they do. You know, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ knew and knows it was nothing new that He is the only hope for this world. It's not our next president, whoever that might be. It's not our next governor. It's not our next whatever. It's Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, the Bible is plain, there's no forgiveness. Christ prayed for mercy upon sinful people. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wanted to give everyone that heard it then and now an opportunity to have salvation. And it's also a prayer of completeness. Think about, think about what it actually means. Many that looked upon a, many people that look at Calvary, they consider it at, at a high level. It's, it's almost it's a tragedy. Someone died, or actually three people died. They talked about sometimes, you know, they, they might remember what well, Jesus talked about being God the the Son of God the Father. He talked about the kingdom reigning forever, but it looked pretty much like it was over, right? The disciples went and hid in a room because, and locked themselves behind a door because they figured they were next. You couldn't have told one of them the day of the, after, after Jesus gave it up and said, it is finished and, and all that happened and they went and hid themselves. You can't tell me that they were just making plans to bust out in a few days and start evangelism. They were scared. All hope was gone. So they looked upon the cross as an end. And a lot of people now look at it as a tragic story. Well, if you talk to people, it's a tragic story in the Bible. That one I tend to kind of look over. It makes me sad when I read it. 
You know, people get like that about the Bible. And they get like that about the crucifixion. Because what they'll do, they'll take that, that crucifixion and they'll say, See, I told you. It was all in vain. He's dead. He's dead. No crown, no royal crown. He had a crown of thorns. He had no crowd of followers. He had a mob that was trying to kill him, but, but, no, but no, no, no crowd of followers. Many thought at that day, most thought, even Satan thought, that that was it. But the story doesn't end there, does it? We know the story, I hope, don't we? The world may not understand, but hopefully we do, what the story actually is. We understand that Jesus is God's Son. We understand that Jesus was faithful to the Father, where we're not faithful to Him. We understand that Jesus was obedient to the Father. Are we obedient to the Father? He was obedient even at the death of the cross. But we also understand that by His death, we have life eternal. So Jesus' first words on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' last words on the cross, we'll get to them eventually, is found in John 19.30. It says, it is finished. What's finished? What do you think is finished? The sacrifice has been made. Forgiveness has been paid. That price has been paid. Salvation now is offered. That's what the gospel is, y'all. Your sins, even today, were paid for on the cross. It's not a hypothetical situation. People that think that, that Jesus died for all those who were there and maybe the ones back. You know, a lot of people think that way. Jesus, well, you know, all the sins, well, that was His and then all them. But here we are, 2,000 years later, most of us can't fathom that Jesus is here too. 2,000 years ago. I can't get my head around it. It's one of them things you call faith. But the Bible's plain. Read it. God is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is not limited to time and space like we are. When Jesus spoke, He didn't necessarily speak of that day. When He gave the story of the, um, the narrow way and the wide way, when He says, He told His disciples, narrow is the way that leads to heaven and few will find it. But wide is the way that leads to destruction and many will find it. Jesus wasn't talking about the few that was around Him and then the multitude that he won't, he was talking about a few people of all the people that ever live. Ever live. Few will find the way. But many, all the rest, will take the wide road and find destruction. Jesus never spoke, if you will, in immediate terms. It was always in heavenly realms. So when He says, Father, forgive them, for He knows not what they do, was not 
tied to that space that he was at at the time, it transcends time. That's the, that's the gospel. Think about it. That's the gospel. That's what transcends time. How do you give any kind of forgiveness for my sins to put him on that cross? How could he have forgiven me? When I put myself in the right place before a holy God, I see myself nailing Him to the cross. But He forgives. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Don't you see? That's the gospel. We forgive only because Jesus forgives. That's not an easy pill to swallow in America. When I was reading those first two illustrations, I, I could hear Gail getting right riled up about it. But the truth is, forgiveness is given because if you've been forgiven, much has been given to you. Then we are supposed to forgive much. Not, not to be a doormat. Now, we're never to be doormats. There's a difference between being a doormat and forgiving people. And, and, and listen close. If I get someone that takes a shot at, like a, with a rifle at me, I'm going to stay away from them. I'm not going to take a chance of trying to cross their path again. But I can also forgive them. Same thing if they'd have got lucky and hit me in the leg and I had a bum leg now. I would probably f avoid them, but I could forgive them. Why? Because... God forgive me and my wretched self. If He can forgive me, I should be able to forgive anybody of anything. So how would you forgive those horrible situations of those two examples I give? And the answer is we forgive because Jesus did. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, as we start, we complete these seven sayings in a few weeks. It's, it's amazing, the love of the cross, and how horrible and how grotesque it really was. But yet, before the foundation of the world, before the earth was made, before Genesis 1 was brought about before God spoke everything into existence, God the Father and God the Son together had made the plan and decided that this was going to be the way it would have to happen. Just It's according to what you think about evolution and seven days and all that, but that could be anywhere from 10,000 years to millions of years. It's according to what you think about how this old mess started. But he planned Everything just like it happened. And he saw it as if it had already happened. Think about it. We have the great and wonderful opportunity, the grace that's been poured out to us that are saved, 
to witness to people around us about the love that I've been forgiven and show them the love that, that God has forgiven me. And I've said forever, and I'll say it again, when you see yourself before a holy God in your correct perspective, you will be a very gracious person out. It may be hard to believe, but I used to be pretty atypical for a guy. And sometimes that, that little thing comes out, but for the most part it don't anymore, and I thank God for that. And that's only because of the grace of God. I see myself before a holy God. And I know that He has forgiven me much to save my wretched soul. The same is true for you. If you're saved today and you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you have a responsibility. And your responsibility is to forgive. Jesus gave us the ultimate example. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Anything that's ever happened to you in life, we've got to come to a place of forgiveness. We can't move on and do what God wants us to do if we're holding on to a grudge. If we have a family member or a whatever, a, an associate that we're at odds with about something, we have to make sure that our heart is pure, that we have forgiven. And, and y'all, I'm not talking about lip service. Like you walk up to someone that you want to give a black eye and say, I forgive you, and you still want to give them a black eye. That's not forgiveness. That's lip service. That's lip service. And there is a big difference. When Jesus said from the cross, it wasn't just pure lip service. That's a hallelujah. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What, what a story, what a story. Let's pray. Dear God, as we're here today, Lord, just starting to look at the sayings you said from the cross that are recorded for us in Scripture. Lord, let us be mindful. Lord, let us understand exactly, to the best of our ability, the part of where we played in that crucifixion. Our life as we've lived to this point and our life as we live to you either take us home or, or we go by way of grave. Lord, that life that we live, should live for your glory and yours alone. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, thank you for even saving a wretch like me. Lord, thank you. Lord, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice, Lord, that does not know you, Lord, I pray today that they'll come to that saving knowledge of grace. Lord, before it's everlastingly too late. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand.